All right, Terrible, say good morning. Let's, uh, let's start a few moments really just to, uh, just to thank our sponsors. I want to begin by thanking our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Nisan to thank Stephen Terry Zinn for dedicating the Shurman Drushos this month with gratitude to Hashem on welcoming their first grandchild, Adinsi Hachbaum, to thank Benjamin and Elise Wall of Eretz Yisrael for dedicating the Shurim and Drushos with immense debt of gratitude to those who make the Shurim available beyond the confines of the base measures, specifically Moshe Abramson and Jeremy Lassen, to thank Shimi and Batsheva Messing for dedicating the Shurim and Drushos this month in honor of the Bas Mitzvah of their daughter Lila, and to thank Paul and Kathy Pollock for dedicating all the Shurim and Drushos this month in memory of Paul's parents, Shmuel ben Zachariah, Leah bas Avram, and great-grandmother Cyril bas Rabdov. We thank our Week of Learning sponsor, Ira and Miriam Grossman, with gratitude to Hashem for providing us with the ability to return to shul, dafyomi, and davening, and to thank all of those who made the shir and davening possible during this time when we were all away from our beloved Beis HaKnesses. Yeshikoch to the Grossman's, Yeshikoch to all of our sponsors, and I will say with that, let us begin. So we are picking up today's daf, is Yod Zayin. We, get, we are picking up Emirat Hashem on Tes Zayin Amud Beis 16b. We have uh, a lot to do today, an incredible amount of Gemara to go through. Hebron Zoom, you hear me all right still? Okay, excellent. Excellent. So we are picking up on Tes Zayin Amud Beis, Tes Zayin Amud Beis 16b. And we are picking up, we are picking up Ketzer Hayu Haluchos Ksuvin. So it's about uh, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26, 28. About 30, 30, 33 lines from the bottom. 30 lines. If, if you look in the carbon ha'ida, it's pretty much right across from where it says halacha beis. Or right where we left off yesterday. Says the Gemara. How were the luchos written? So Rabbi Hanino, Ben Gamliel, Omer, Hamisha luach zeva, Hamisha luach zeh. There are three, there are five luchos written on, five dibros written on each of the luchos. So we'll say, a more, what I will call just a classic interpretation, right? Ten, ten commandments altogether, five on one tablet, five on the second tablet. So we'll say again, the Pasuk seems to pretty much, pretty clearly support that particular reading. There were two, right, two tablets, five, five tablets written, five, five dibros written on each tablet. This is an interesting idea. The Rabbanon said, no, there were actually ten commandments written on each tablet, which means all ten were written on each of the tablets. Okay, the Gemara says, So we'll say, interestingly enough, the fact that the Pasuk kind of links, or I should say, groups all of the Dibros together, Aseres HaTvarim Ha'ila, leads the Rabbanon to say that all ten were written on each tablet, which I both say then means that Moshe Rabbeinu brings down two tablets, each tablet having its own self-contained Aseres HaDibros inscribed. Vasar Luach Zerub Shem HaYochayom says, Eshma Luach Zeh, Ve'eshma Luach Zeh. Because this is fascinating. Shem HaYochayom says, 20, 20 on each. Now, obviously, there are only 10. There are only 10. But what it means is that all 10 were inscribed twice on each of the tablets. Now, interestingly enough, the way the Karban Ha'ida and Tiklin Chadatan understand this was that the, it was inscribed on both sides. On both sides. So that it really turns out also kind of building on the Rabbanon. All 10 on each tablet but all 10 were inscribed on both sides. Actually, it's interesting. The, the Mepharshimir bring down an incredible miracle that the lettering of the Luchos went all the way through the tablet. But the amazing part was, yet it was fully, it was fully comprehensible, comprehensible on both sides. Okay. more incredible. Have you seen my Omer? He says 40. Four, there were 40, 40 dibros, which I will say means essentially that full 10 commandments were written twice on each side. So 20 on one side, so, so two tens on one side, two tens on the other side. 
tetroga, right? Literally, it says it was written on this side and that side. Tetroga four. For I will say, I'll point out something very interesting. What does this mean? What, when you get into when you get into twenty and forty, so we'll say, why would Hakadosh Baruch Hu give the luchos to Klal Yisrael? With the Ten Commandments fully listed twice on each side, what's, what's what's the point? So perhaps, perhaps the pshat with it is that Hakadosh Baruch Hu kind of highlighting to us the need for chazara, the need for review, to recognize that spiritual proficiency. And when I say chazara, I don't just mean you know reviewing what you're learning, but a recognition that spiritual proficiency only comes when you constantly review and reinforce, whether it's reviewing your learning, whether it's reinforcing your behaviors, like anything else in life. You learn to ride a bike only if you go ahead and you practice often. You only become a good athlete if you hone your skill over and over. You only become good in your career if you show up and work hard each and every day. So same you sowed. You want to become spiritually proficient? You want to become a holy individual? How does that work? That ultimately works, again, with the constant chazara, with the ongoing review. So the Gemara goes weiter. Rabbi Gemara says, Hananya ben Achi, Rabbi Yeshua Omer, Bein kol dibor bedibor, diktukea v'osio shal Torah. So Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, between every single dibor, between every single dibra, diktukea v'osio shal Torah. But this is actually really incredible. This is in between each of the dibros, in between each of the commandments. He so had the commandment, commandment, and in between each of the commandments were all of the various details, all the various details concerning each of the particular dibros, right? The ability to go ahead and, the ability to go ahead and, it's almost like the Rashi, right? So if you can imagine, in between each of the dibros, so you have all of the details concerning that particular dibra. Pretty incredible. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, because the Pasuk says that the Luchos were filled like, like, the, like the Sea of Tarshish, which indicates to us that not only were the Ten Commandments actively on the Luchos, but rather what else was there? Amazingly enough, what else was there? What else was there was the was all of the details. So if you could imagine, imagine having a Dibra and then all of the associated halachos concerning that Dibra on there. Rava, so the Gemara says, um, sorry, Rava, when, when Rish Lakish would come to this particular Pasek, he would say, Hava Amar Yafa Lamdani Hananya Achi Rabbi Yoshua. Mahayama Zebin Gal Godol Gal Godol Golem Kitanim Kah Bain Kodibor Vidibor Vidiktu Kevos Yoseshal Torah. So just like about saying the ocean, when you have waves, and in between each wave, in between each large wave is a smaller wave. So so to say such a beautiful such a beautiful imagery. So too if you imagine that each wave represents one of the Dibros, one of the commandments. In between each of the larger waves were smaller waves of perish, smaller waves of explanation to explain ultimately the particular Dibra. Incredible. Amravitan Chuma is Kashyas Kume Rapinchas. Asik Reb Yehuda, well, Asik Reb Meir. So I'll say the Gemara now points out something very interesting going back yesterday. If you remember again, to the Machlokis Reb Yehuda and Rabbi Meir concerning the dimensions and measurements of the Aron. So we'll say the Gemara is going to point out, we spoke this out yesterday, but one of the interesting major nafkaminas between their approaches was, where was the Sefer Torah positioned? Remember again, there was a Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. Where was it placed? Was it placed inside of the Ark? Was it placed outside of the Ark? This was a major machlokas. So says the Gemara, my time, Rabbi Huda, the Chsev, Lakach, a Sefer Torah, Zah, the Santem, also Misat Armbris Hashem. So, also Rabbi Huda's position is pretty clear, right? Rabbi Huda holds that Allah Halamai. So, you take the you take the Torah and you place it inside of the Aram. As hence Rabbi Huda's dimensions, the Gemara says, Al Daiti Rabbi Huda, do Amar Hechon have a Sefer Torah, Nasun, Kiminguskia Sulomi Bachot. So, also according to Rabbi Huda, ultimately again, where was. 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry. According to Rabbi Yehuda, the Pasek, the Torah uses Lashon of Mitzad Aron, on the side of the Aron. So therefore the Gemara says, according to Rabbi Yehuda, where was the Torah placed? There was a Gluskia Sulam Bechutz. There was some type of, Gluskia literally means like a box. But in fact, what it actually means is a shelf. Right? There was some type of shelf-like protrusion on the side of the Aron upon which the Torah was placed. So the Gemara says, "Al daiti Rav Yehuda do Amr Hechanah say for Torah Nusim is good fine." The Gemara says, "I'll say for Torah Nusim is so cool." My time with Rabbi Meir. What was Rabbi Meir's logic? Tichsev v'nasata sakaporis ala arum ilamala ve'el ha'arum titin asaidos asher etin elecha. So we'll say, "Sir, Rabbi Meir says the Torah says pretty explicitly that you'll place the Torah inside of the ark and you shall place the kaporis the lid on top of the ark." Al daite now he changes it over here. The Grud changes this. To Rabbi Huda, Alai to Rabbi Huda, Du Amar, Ein Muktam Umauchar Batora, Ela Vela Aron Titen Asaidos Asher Etin Elecha, Vaacher Kach Vinasata Sakapores Ala Aron Milamalo. So therefore, again, ultimately, what you'll have to say is that Allah Chalamaisa, the Pasik is not written in order. And what it means is only after there was the Sefer Torah, do you go ahead and, and insert it inside of the Aron, do you place the lid on top of the Aron. Rabbi Pinchas, B'Shem, B'Shem, Lakish, Hatharach, Nasalak, Adosh, Baruch, Lemosha. So we'll say, so therefore again, for, before we end this particular section, there's the fundamental machlok, is about where the Sefer Torah was placed. Was there room for the Sefer Torah inside of the Aron or not? Machlokis Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir. The Gemara ends off with a beautiful idea. HaTorah Shenasan, Rabbi Pinchas, B'Shem, B'Shem, Lakish, HaTorah Shenasan, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lemosha, the Torah that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave to Moshe Rabbeinu, Nasna lo ish levana charusa ve'ish chora. Literally again, it was given, ish levana, white fire, charusa. Charusa literally means inscribed on black fire. Yeish muvleles, this is an ish that is mixed together. Be'ish chatsuva me'ish, ultimately again a fire, a fire hewn out from fire. Venesuna me'ish, and given from fire. Dirsiv mimino, ish das lamo. So we'll say an incredible fire imagery from, from Kabbalah Satora. Torah is given white fire inscribed onto black fire, fire that comes from fire, fire mixed together with fire. If you look at the carbon Ha'ida for just a moment on the right side, he says, Ish Lavana, Heim Ha'osios, Chakukim Algabe Ishora, Vainuksav Libuno, Inami Behefech, Vukik Sav Shalano. So we'll say it's interesting because if you look at the Lushan of the Gemara, the Gemara says, Nasla Ish Lavana Charusa Be Ishora, which sounds like Right, white fire inscribed on black fire sounds like the print, the words. The words are white fire inscribed on a backdrop, ultimately of black fire. So the carbon either says it could have also been the opposite. It could have been black fire inscribed on white fire, which resembles the Sefer Torah that we have today. Right, the, the black ink, right, the black letters on the white parchment backdrop. Either way, says the carbon haida. Says the Karben Ha'ida, the, 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 the metaphor is the same, which is that the Torah was given in, in the form of fire. So we'll say, just point out, according to the second approach of the Karben Ha'ida, that it's really black letters, black fire inscribed on white fire. How incredible is that? You'll never look at the Sefer Torah the same again. That every single time I open up the Sefer, ultimately, again, what I'm looking at is black fire inscribed on white fire. What's the metaphor? See, I've say the power of the flame and the reason why the flame occupies such a prominent place. Ultimately, again, in, in, in we'll call it the spiritual metaphorical realm is because the ish is constantly flickering upwards. The, con- the ish represents constant growth. The ish, the flame, is never stagnant. It's never the same flame day after day. It's always changing. It's always evolving. It's always reaching. It's always going out, going sideways. That's the metaphor for Ruchnius. Right? What, how was the Torah given? The Torah was given white fire on black fire. Fire mixed together. Fire, 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 fire. Because do you want to know what success in Torah is? Success in Torah is perpetual growth. And it's growth, interestingly enough, in every direction, just like the Ish. Incredible. Where were the prostrations done? Oh, you know what I just realized? I didn't, I didn't WhatsApp you. Let me just send this out now so you could also take a look at this while we are. Hopefully make things a little bit easier. Uh, 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 uh. Sorry. 
Okay. Oh, good. I'm sending you two things, actually. Oh. Okay, good. All right, so, we'll say, so now we can begin the Mishnah again. You don't need it yet, but like this, you'll be able to reference it, reference it easily when we need it. Says the Mishnah. Most remember again in the previous Mishnah, we learned that there were 13 prostrations, that 13 prostration places inside of the Mikdash. So where were they? So the Gemara said, Arba B'Tzafon, four in the north, Arba B'Darab, four in the south, Shalosh B'Mizrach, three in the east, Ubez B'Marev, and two in the west. Keneged Shlosha Asar Sha'arim Deromim, Smuchun L'Marev. So we'll say this corresponds ultimately to the 13 gates of the Beis HaMikdash. So you can see that in the image I just sent you, 13 different gates in the Beis HaMikdash. The Mishnah is actually going to go through them. So the Gemara says, So the southern gate, the southern gate, which were near, which were near the west. So the Gemara says, Shara Elyon, the we call the upper gate, Shar HaDelek, the literally the kindling gate. And I also we're going to see Shara Delek was called that way because it was actually near the Lishkas Dir Haitzim. It was by the it was by the wood chamber. The uh the Tiklin Chadatin mentions this over Shara Laka Shalishkas Haitzim. Right? It was right by the chamber for the wood. That's why it was called the chamber that's why it's called the gate of kindling. Sharha Bachoros so we'll say, so again, the Tiklin Chadatin says, this is where they would go in and bring in the firstborn animals. Shar Hamayim, we'll discuss that in just a moment. What was it called, Shamayim? So we'll say, most of these gates were named for, in very simple ways. They were descriptive names. They were descriptive names that ultimately, again, really focused on their use or perhaps focused on someone who had donated something, right? That, that's, uh, that, 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 that practice is time immemorial. So the Gemara goes later. So why do, you, why do they call it Sharamayim? Because it was through that gate that they would bring in the jug of water for the Nisu Chamayim. Nisu Chamayim was the process, the water libation that they performed on Sukkis. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov Omer, Bo, 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 I'm sorry, Elizabeth Yaakov Omer, Bo Hamayim Mifachim, Vasidin Lios Yotzin, Mitachas Miftan Habayis. Interestingly enough, also we're going to see that in the Messianic era, there is going to be a stream which emanates from the Kodesh HaKadoshim and extends outward. So that stream is going to emanate from this area, from this area called Shar Hamayim. Lu'umasun B'Tzafon, what about the gateways on the north? So the Gemara says, Smucham Amarav, that also were more situated towards the west. Shar Yechanya, the gate of Yechanya, which we'll talk about. Shar HaKarban, Shar HaNoshim, Shar HaShir. The Lama Nikra Shmo Shar Yechanya. So we'll say the other, the names of the other gates are kind of pretty self-explanatory. But why do they call the gate of Shar Yechanya, Yechanya? What's remember again, we spoke about Yechanya in yesterday's daf. Why do we call it? We'll say this is so profound. Shebo Yatze Yechanya Begaluso. Because this was the gate that Yechanya left the last time he left the Beis HaMikdash. So also remember again, Yechanya was the king exiled by Nebuchadnezzar. Remember again, we have this Pasuk in Megillah's Esther. Asher Hagloim Hagola, Asher Right? This is, so Yechanya was, this is time of Mordechai Tzadik, this is Pesachia. This is all, all the same time frame. So they named that gate Shar Yechanya because when Nebuchadnezzar came to exile the king, we're going to see the king was exiled first. He left the base Hamikdash through Shar Yechanya. What's well, a dramatic story, which we'll actually see in today's daf. So the Gemara says, "B'Mizrach, Shemizrach, Shar Nikanor." In the east was the gate of Nikanor. So we'll say, here's an example of a gate named after the person. Remember again, Nikanor, as we'll discuss, also donated the doors, donated beautiful doors to the Beis Hamikdash, and as such, again, that gate in which in which had his doors, they named Shar Nikanor. Shnei Pash B'Shin Hayulo Echad Miyimino VeEchad Mismolo. So we'll say in Shar Nikanor. Just by the way, the Gemara says. There were two small doors in the larger door, one on the right, one on the left. of two gates in the west. So this is interesting. The two gates in the west were unnamed. They were unnamed. They just, they just didn't have names. Okay. Mishnah. Masnisen Abba Yosa Ben Yochanan he the Amar Kenegid Yud Gimel Sharim Baram Kirabanon Shiva Sharim Hayu Bazara. So I say, interesting enough, the Gemara says. 
that it's a machlokis, actually how many gates there were. All right, according to, according to Abi Yosa ben Yochanan, he goes with the opinion, which is, seems to be the majority opinion, that in fact there were 13 gates, but yet the Rabbanon hold that there were only seven gates. Interesting machlokas. So the Gemara says, Shiva, Shiva Sharm Hayu Ba'azara. So we'll say, so what's interesting about this is as follows. So remember again, you read the Mishnah and no one is arguing on the number of prostrations. So our Mishnah links the number of prostrations corresponding to the number of gates. But it doesn't, but, but nowhere do we have a, a recorded machlokas that the Rabbanon disagree with the number of prostrations even though they disagree with the number of gates. So how do the Rabbanon, who only hold that there are seven gates, arrive at 13 prostrations? So the Gemara says, Kiahi ditaninon taman, as we learned, Yirgimel pratzos hayubo shepirtsum malche yavan v'chazru v'gardum b'nei chashmonoi. V'gazru kinegdon yirgimel l'shtachavo. So we'll say, so remember again, according to the Rabbanon, there are 13 breaches. So we'll say, interestingly enough, Right outside of the major temple compound, there was something called the Chel. The Chel was an enclosed, fenced-in area, and it was it was enclosed by the Sarug. So the Sarug was like a fence that went around. The Yevanim had breached that fence in thirteen places, and the Chashmonaim repaired those breaches. So according to the Rabbanon, amazingly enough, the thirteen prostrations corresponded to the 13 filled-in breaches that the Chashmonaim filled in. So quite beautiful. The guys who connect on, you'd give them a shtachavosk. So that's why everyone is agreeing on the number of prostrations, even if they're disagreeing ultimately again on how you get to that particular number. So is quite beautiful. The Mishnah made reference to this idea that in the Messianic era there's going to be a stream, right? Sharamayim. Why is it called Sharamayim? So you have Machlokis. One opinion in the Mishnah said it's called Sharamayim because said that's where you would bring in the water for the Niso Chamayim. Second opinion says it's called Sharamayim because in the Messianic era there is going to be a large stream which runs through this area. So I'll say here we're going to speak about this stream which is is really quite amazing. So the Gemara says, We'll be on that day that literally again, a body of water will come out of Yerushalayim. So we'll say, of course, you understand how miraculous this is. Yerushalayim has no bodies of water, right? Remember again, we spoke that Yerushalayim has the Gihon Spring, right? If you ever go, if you ever go in the Ir David, City of David tour, right? And you go in the tunnel tours and you go ahead and you walk through the water, you're walking through the Gihon Spring. That's, that's the underground spring in Yerushalayim. So the Gemara says, Tani, here we go. So we'll say, so interestingly enough, in the Messianic era, there, there will be a body of water that begins in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. How incredible is this? Begins in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and it'll eventually branch out. From the Kodesh HaKadoshim, Ad HaParochas, up until the curtain, Kekarne Silei Vikile, which means literally, it'll be like the antenna of snails. In other words, the, the, the river will extend, but it'll be tiny. It'll be tiny. Min Parochas Ad from the curtain of the Kodesh HaKadoshim until the Mizbeach Hazav. So remember again, the Mizbeach Hazav is the incense altar inside of the Mikdash. Kekarne Chagavim. It'll be like the antenna of locusts. So still thin, but a little bit thicker. From the golden internal altar for Kitores until the Azaras, until the courtyard. Kechut Shel Shasi. It'll be like the warp thread. And from the Azaras until the entrance to the base of Mikdash, it'll be like the wolf thread. Mikan Ve'ilich. I will say after that, it's going to turn into a large sea. So we'll say, so the Gemara now is going to break down this Pasek, break down this Pasek that the Gemara is quoting from Yechezkel, where Yechezkel describes this great sea that is going to exist in Yerushalayim. But interestingly enough, the sea itself never gets wider than the wolf thread 
inside of the Beis HaMikdash Kanan, which makes sense. You want to have water, but you're not going to have a body of water. Well, so again, remember, I want to point out, they already have water in the Beis HaMikdash. I mean, they had water in the Beis HaMikdash. We learned about this. Remember again, where did we learn about this? In Psachim, right? Remember again, on Erev Pesach, after the entire Azara was filled with blood, everything else, from the shefting of the Karbanos, they had a they had a drain. They plugged up the drain and they unleashed water, or they they let out. They they unleashed a strong word. Right? They they went ahead and they 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 flooded the Azara. So they already had a way to pipe in water. With the what the Navin Yecheskel is describing is a stream, is a stream which will ultimately develop into an ocean. So the Gemara says the first part of the ocean after the base of the goes up to the ankles. Then it goes up to the knees. Then it goes up literally again, Masnia literally means the loins. Mikan So the sea, this sea being described in the Messianic era, gets progressively deeper. Mikan after that, The sea will get so big that even a large ship will not be able to traverse. What's the reason? Even a, even a mighty vessel will not be able to traverse it. Ultimately, again, because the water will be so great. What's It'll be so great that even a person won't be able to swim across it. Because by us, we call swimming shkuna. It'll be water that is spoken about in the world. That's how vast the sea will become. So we'll say, watch this. From from the house of David, from the house of David, which means right from the palace of David Amalek to the place where the residents of Yerushalayim live, ultimately the waters will be deep enough and wide enough and large enough for Tevila, for Anida, and for Chatos. Chatos means Paraduma. Mikan ve'ilach again, for Paraduma, you can only use spring water. Ma'im Chaim. You can't use rainwater. For Anida, you could use rainwater or spring water. Either one is fine. So apparently the Gemara describes over here that the stream, the larger body of water, from the house of David Amalek until the residence of Yerushalayim, that will be more like a spring and therefore will be kosher for Tzvila for Anida as well as for Paraduma. Mikan ve'ilech, after you get out of Yerushalayim, get the, I guess the residential area of Yerushalayim, Meitarovesem, it'll be a mixture of rainwater and spring water. Kshem l'nida, upsum l'chatos. It'll be usable for nida, but not usable for chatos, for paradum. Arba lozer, bibay savera yushalayim, kshem l'nida u l'chatos, mikan ve'ilach, mei katafri, sorry, katfarios, or katafrisos, hein, psum l'nida u l'chatos. Kesan opinion says, no, literally again, it'll be the sloping water, running water, right? The water that runs off a slope. So it won't be usable for Nida or for Chatos. Ksivi, Vayomer Le Amayim Ha'ela Yotzim El Ha'galila Ha'kadmona Zel Yam Shasam. So we'll say, so okay, so the is going to talk about other bodies of water in just a moment. But I just want to point out, it's really quite fascinating. So you see over here that the Messianic era is described, right? How is the Messianic era described? What are the ways? In an abundance of water. An abundance of water. So I will say, remember, what does water represent? Water represents Torah. Mayim is Torah. Mayim is Ruchnius. Of course, on a better, does it literally mean that when Mashiach comes, so Yerushalayim is going to become waterfront property? I'm sure the residents of Yerushalayim would be very happy with that, right? Everybody loves waterfront property, right? But, but, or, does it mean, or does it mean that in the Messianic era, there's going to be an incredible like tidal wave of spirituality. So again, I just want to point out, if you go with the idea that it's a tidal wave of spirituality, that water represents spirituality, water represents ruchnius, so then you see something really amazing, which is just in one blot of Gemara, you see, you see ruchnius represented by two dramatically different things. You see ruchnius represented by fire, 
and Ruchni is represented by water, right? Because really both water and fire really do two different things, right? Fire, the metaphor of fire represents the metaphor of constant growth, the metaphor of constant evolution, the metaphor of constant change. The fire never remains the same. The fire is always jumping upwards, always jumping sidewards, always wanting to accomplish, always wanting to take over. Water, on the other hand, is the great sustainer. Water is the great sustainer, right? Without water, right? Mayim is chayim. So without water, so without ruchnius, so we'll you know, sometimes we look at spirituality or spiritual growth as a nice pursuit. You know, in general, anything in life you look at as a nice pursuit doesn't usually happen. Ruchnius is not a nice pursuit. Ruchnius is life. Ruchnius is life. Without Ruchnius, there is no life, or at least not a life worth living. Ruchnius is water. So without it, I literally cannot live. Without it, I don't want to live. So therefore, water, so if you have Ruchnius, what's also interesting about water, I would say is, fascinating about water, especially large bodies of water is, there are many undiscovered things which lurk in the depths. The more a person develops spiritually, the more a person develops a depth to them as well. And it's a powerful thing to develop a depth, to not just be a superficial person who kind of hovers on the surface, but to develop a depth to my personality. So that's Ruchnius as water, Ruchnius as fire. Pretty incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. This passage is referring to the Sea of Samchu. So we'll say, this is the same passage. He's just talking about the body of water. The body of water is actually incredible. The body of water, which comes out of Yerushalayim, will connect with other bodies of water, which is really, which is really amazing. So it'll connect with the, with the Sea of Samchu. It will connect with the Kinneret, Yam Shel Tveria. Ubal HaYam HaZeh, Zeh Yam HaMelach. El Yam HaMotzim, Zeh, Zeh Yam HaGodl. It'll go to Yam HaMelach, right to the Dead Sea. It'll go to Yam HaGodl, to the Mediterranean. V'lama Nikra Shmo. Motzim, Kinege Shnei Pamim, Shiyatza Echen. I will say, why is this sea called the Yam HaMotzim, right? Al Yam HaMotzim, because there are two times that this sea overran, overran itself, or, or, or extended beyond its borders. Echabadar Enosh, one time the generation of Enosh, Be'echabadar Haflaga, and one time during the generation of dispersion. Dar Enosh is the Mabul. So the Master Rabbi Lazer, Bishan Bechananya, Berishona Yatza, Ad Calabria. The first time that the waters overran their banks, they went to Calabria, Obishnia at Kipe Barbaria. Well, so Kipe Barbaria actually is the Barbary coast, right? They extended out to the Barbary coast. The Gemara says, so again, just talking about when you had, when you had episodes in history where the water overran its banks, where did it go to? So the Gemara says, Tal Ako, Tal Yafo, Kipi Barberia. So the Gemara says, Ad Po Tavavolo Sosif, until here the waters could come and no further. So the Gemara says, quoting over here the Pasik in Eov, Ad Ako Tavavolo Sosif, the waters could go until Ako, but no more. Upe Upo Yoshis Bigaon Galacha, and here it will come. With its mighty waves, at Yafo Ashes Goon Galecha, until Yafo the mighty waves could come. Necha Yama, Rava Amar, Viyama de Milcha, Bishwila Miskan. So we'll say, I understand ultimately again why the, why the, why the sea in Yerushalayim, when it extends, will go to the Great Sea and will also come to the Yama de Milcha, the, the Dead Sea. Because I will say the power is that when that river in Yerushalayim extends to the Dead Sea, what will it do? Bishila Miskan, it'll make the salty waters of the Dead Sea sweet. I will say, isn't this incredible? That not only is there a, not only will there be a body of water that extends out of Yerushalayim, but that body of water is going to connect with all of these other bodies of water, and at least in the form of the Dead Sea, it'll make it sweet. Yama de Tveria, Yama de Samchol Rabos de Gasam. I will say, but why does the why does the water source in Yerushalayim? Have to go ahead and connect with the with the yam of Samchu or the yam of Tiveria, which are already quote unquote sweet waters. Lerabos digasam, ultimately again to increase their supply of fish. Pretty incredible. So right, so we'll say, so the idea is any body of water which connects with the waters of Yerushalayim will experience incredible, incredible blessing. 
most notably a proliferation in their fish species. One time I went to Tzidon, Shem Gamliel says, One time I went to Tzidon, to Sidon, and they, I served me fish, and there are more than 300 types of fish on one platter. Incredible. So the Gemara says, "Venir pu hamayim b'tzesav, b'tzesav v'gabav lo lo yirapu lemelach." So the Gemara says, "Lemelach nitanu k'siv venir pu hamayim v'at amrit v'lo yir pu hamayim." So we have contradictory psukim. On one hand, the pasuk says that the waters will become sweet when this body of water of Yushalayim touches them, but then it also says the waters will not become near Pulizim is healed. They won't become sweet. So which one is it? Will the waters become sweet or not become sweet? So the Gemara says, it's talking about two different bodies of water. We'll say the waters will become sweet, except there's one body of water that's called Lo Yirpu'u. It will not become sweet. Why don't you want the body of water to become sweet? For that is the area from which we will derive salt. See, interestingly enough, the waters will become sweet, except you're going to have salt ponds. There'll be salt ponds which will remain, which will be there ultimately again for us to have salt. Incredible. So the Gemara says, So we'll say, now the Gemara switches gears for just a moment. Now, after we finish talking about the body of water, which is going to extend from Misham in the Messianic era, and how that body of water is going to impact all of the other bodies of water, which I will say, which, what is that a reference to? The idea again, Mayim is Torah, Mayim is Ruchnius. In the Messianic era with the rebuilt base Hamikdash, what is going to happen? The waters of Yerushalayim are going to touch all of the other waters. And what are they going to do to all the other waters? They're going to sweeten them. They're going to sweeten them. Incredible, incredible idea. So we'll say now the Gemara switches gears to another aspect of the Messianic era. Tani Am Rabbi Yehuda. Lefisha Gmarvir quoted the Pasik from Yechezkel. And the Pasik in Yechezkel speaks about in the Messianic era, no fruit tree will ever have its leaves wither. And the fruit will not stop. Every month the tree will birth fruit. So what does this mean? So Tanya Rabbi Huda says is incredible. In this world, this world means the pre-Messianic era. So what happens? So it takes six weeks, six months, I'm sorry, for the earth to produce wheat and fruit only produce, fruit only produce, sorry, trees only produce fruit once a year, right? Remember, the earth could actually produce twice, if wheat twice a year. You could have summer wheat, and winter wheat. But fruit trees only produce fruit once every 12 months. Avala Asad Lavo, we'll say, get ready for this. First wide line in Zayin Lamed Aleph. Avala Asad Lavo, Hatvua Osa Lechodesh Echad, Ve'ilan Osa Lishnei Chadashim. We'll say, isn't this incredible? But in the future, the Messianic era, the Tavua, the wheat, the wheat will go ahead and produce, be produced every month, and the Elon will go ahead and produce fruit once every two months. My taima l'chada shavivakir. Both say incredible. So in the Messianic era, accelerated, accelerated produce, accelerated agriculture. So the Gemara says, Am Rabbi Yossi, l'fisheva olam azat vua osa l'shisha chadash, and v'ilan osa l'yudbeis chodesh. So Rabbi Yossi says, same thing. Right now, the earth produces wheat twice a year. And the, but fruit trees produce fruit once a year. Avala asid lavo hatvua osa tesvav yom. Listen to this. In the Messianic era, wheat will be produced every 15 days. Ve'ilan osa l'chodesh. And the trees will produce fruit once a month. Once a month. Shekin matzinu shasa atvua bimei yoel l'chamisha sa yom. Ve'karav bimeno ha'omer. As well, so we see this happen already once in the times of Yoel. Where ultimately, again, the earth produced wheat once every 15 days. Right, once every 15 days, and they brought from it the carbon armor. My time, Obene Tzion, Kilu Vesimchu Bashan Lokechem, Kinas Lachem as Hamor, let's talk about Vayazer Lachem, Vayore Lachem, Geshem Amore Umalkosh Parishon. Mamma Kaira Biosi, the Chada Shavi Vaker, the Chodesh Vekodesh, Yem Mivaker. So we'll say again, so Machokas exactly about the accelerated pace of Messianic agriculture. But we'll say, I want to say something amazing. Do you realize what happens, by the way, if the world does that? If the world produces wheat every 15 days and fruit trees produce once a month, or, or even in the slower schedule, let's say, you know that that can mean an end to global hunger? 
that, that could mean that there's enough food supply to mamish feed the entire world. You know why you're daven for Mashiach? See, I'll say sometimes people think we're daven for Mashiach because we'll get back to Beis HaMikdash. That is true. That is very true. But getting back to Beis HaMikdash, the Beis HaMikdash is incredible and we yearn and we pine for it every day. But the Beis HaMikdash is one facet of the Messianic redemption. We'll say, can you imagine a world with no hunger? Can you imagine, again, I will say, you know, we're, we're not used to talking about hunger because Baruch Hashem, you know, that, that's not usually the acute issue within our communities. But it is an acute issue in greater society. So can you imagine, can you imagine a world where there's no hunger? Can you imagine a world where everyone has what to eat because the earth is producing at a much faster output? Can you imagine that? And can you imagine what that means for civilization? Can you imagine what that means for the happiness factor of mankind? Can you imagine what it probably means for the shalom of mankind? That's why you daven for Mashiach, because it represents an end to the challenges which have marked humanity for all time. So incredible. So the Gemara goes weiter. And ultimately, again, it's leaves will, will heal. Rabbi Yochanan Omer, Terafea mates its Allah. So I'll say, Rabbi Yochanan says in the Messianic era, ultimately, again, the trees, right? Even the leaves of the trees will heal. The Teraf Mazona, but it means that the leaf will be consumed as food. And it'll heal as food. What does this mean? Roshmol, Rav Ushmol, Chadomar Lahatir Peshalamala, the Chadomar Lahatir Peshalamaton. So someone said in the Messianic era, even the leaves will have, will have therapeutic benefits. Some will say that if you eat the leaves, it'll increase your appetite. That's Peshalamala. Others will say if you're constipated, It'll help ease the bowels. Rabbi Chanan, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Chad Decha Lahatir Pe Akaros, Vichad Amr Lahatir Pe Ilmer. We'll say incredible Gemara. Some say the Messianic era, the leaves will be so powerful that again, if a woman is barren, so again, the leaves will allow the womb to open up. Others will say if a person is mute, person is mute, ultimately again, the leaves, the Messianic leaves, will allow the person to speak. We'll say so much to look forward to and so much to daven for. Ulu Maslam B'tzafan. So the Gemara says, At Mozer, both there is an incredible Gemara, incredible, overwhelming Gemara. Bishar Sha'ala Nebuchadnezzar Lekan, when Nebuchadnezzar came, was marching on Eretz Yisrael. Bav Yashav Lo Bedof Neishel Antokyo. He set up, he set up his camp by the walls of Antokyo. Biyata Sanhedrin Gedola Likraso. The Sanhedrin Agodol went out to greet Nebuchadnezzar. Amrulo. We'll see, you hear this exchange? The members of the Sanhedrin asked Nebuchadnezzar, are you here to destroy the Beis HaMikdash? Has the time for the destruction come? Amr Lahem, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm not going to destroy right now, but what I want is as follows. The one who I, the one who I installed as king, I want you to go ahead and hand him over to me. Abosay, remember again, this goes back to yesterday. Remember, who's the king? Who's the king? Yechania. But remember again, Nebuchadnezzar renamed him. What did Nebuchadnezzar name him? Sirkio. Right? Nebuchadnezzar said, if you rebel against me, God will judge you. Hand over Yechania. Hand over Yechania, Vani Holech. And I will leave you alone for now. Bova Omeli Melach Yehuda. They came and they told you, they came and they told Yehuda, Yechania. Right? The king of Yehuda. Nebuchadnezzar Boilach. Nebuchadnezzar wants you. Nebuchadnezzar wants you. When Yechania heard that now Nebuchadnezzar was requesting him, Yechania understood that this was the end. And so this was the end. Not just the end of him, he also understood this was the end of the basement. He also listened to this gripping Gemara. So what did he do? What did he do? He took the keys of the Beis HaMikdash. He went to the roof of the Beis HaMikdash. It used to be that you believed in us. It used to be that you trusted us. And the keys to your Beis HaMikdash were given over to us. Now that you clearly no longer trust us to watch over your base Hamikdash, Hare Maftechosecha Misurin Lecha. I hereby give your keys back to you. But say, who could imagine that moment when Yehoiachin, the king of Yehuda, gives back the keys of the Mikdash to the Ribbon Shalom? Tre Amorain. There's a machlok is what happened next. Chad Amar Zarkon Vaod Lo Yardu. Some say he threw them up to Shemai when they did not come back down. Others say a hand extended down from the heavens 
and took the keys from Yochanan's hand. Both say, this was the end. This was the end. When you have to give back the keys of the Beis HaMikdash to the Ribbono Shal Olam, when we're no longer trusted to be the custodians of the Ribbono Shal Olam's home, this was the end of Vayas Rishon. Kevan Shero, so Yechanya gives back the keys, and Abosai, Yechanya gives himself over to Nebuchadnezzar. Because obviously, again, if Nebuchadnezzar was willing to leave Klal Yisrael alone for now, Yoyach gave himself back. Kevan Shero, Amadeis, Kevan Shero, Chori Yehuda, Cain, Abosai, as soon as the, the nobleman of Yehuda saw what had happened, this is such a tragic story, they went to the top, their rooftops, V'naflu umesu. I will say, naflu literally means they fell. But it means is, they threw themselves off. They, they, they threw themselves off the rooftops umesu. Hadu d'chsev, masagai chizayu malacha eifo ki alisa kula lagagos t'shuos mle irhomiya. So I will say really an incredibly, an incredibly dramatic gemara. And now, kind of to loop it back, that's why it's called shayichanya. Because I will say, now you understand it. That's the gate that the last thing Yechaniah does, does is he gives back the keys to the Ribbon Shalom. After he gives back the keys, he walks out that gate and he delivers himself into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. That gate was called Shar Yechaniah, for that was the gate that Yechaniah left the Beis HaMikdash. Incredible, Abbasai. Incredible. Says the Mishnah. Let's go a little bit by Says the Mishnah. Yirgimul Shulchanos. I just want to point out, I know we do these Gemaras very quickly. Very quickly. But again, I would urge you, you know, certainly study them more on your own. There's also a ton of Perushim on the page. Each of which give their own insights into all of these Maiselach, which are incredible. Says the Mishnah. Yirgimul Shulchanos Haim Mikdash. There were 13 tables. 13 tables in the base of Mikdash. Ches shal shayish, eight of them made of marble, the base matbachim, in the slaughter chamber. Right? So said, well, well, again, this kishmo kenu. This was the area where they would pretty much like take apart the animals. Shaleim adich and asakirbaim. So I'll say, on these eight, on these eight tables of marble, that's where they would literally, madich and means they would wash the insides of the animal. Marble is good because marble remains cold. Right? And because it remains cold, that way, again, the, the meat itself doesn't heat up and lead to spoilage. Beis Bemarav, two tables in the west. I'm sorry, Bemarav Shalab, Bemarav Akevesh, right? Two tables to the west of the ramp. Echad Shal Shayish, Echad Shal Kesav. One made of marble, one made of silver. Al Shal Shayish, no Sinisaibarim, on the marble one. They would put the limbs of the animal. V'al shal kesef klisharis. And on the silver one, they would put the service utensils. Obeys bo'ulam mi bifnim. Two tables, I will say, on the ulam, on the inside. Now, remember, ulam literally means the antechamber. So this is now, in, those, the tables that we're speaking about until now were outside of the base of the Shalit. Remember again, there's the base of compound, which is comprised of the courtyards and the structure. And then there's the ulam, the Azar, the Ulam, the Kodesh, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, which is the actual, call it, building of the Mikdash. So now the Gemara says, there were two tables inside of the building of the Beis HaMikdash, Apesach Abayis, the entranceway, Achel Shal Shayis Ve'Achel Shal Zav, one made of marble, one made of gold. Al Shal Shayish Nostin Lecham Panimich Nisaso. So I'll say, interestingly enough, on the marble table, that's where they would put the new loaves of bread. So when they would bake the Lecham upon him, Take it out of the oven. They would first place it, place it on a table of marble. But ultimately, again, then they have another table. They have another table of gold. Now, I want to point out, this is not talking about the shulchan right now, right? The shulchan itself, right? The actual shulchan upon which Lechan upon was situated was actually put inside of the, the Kodesh. This is talking about when you would take the bread out of the oven and get ready to arrange it, you'd put it on a you'd put it on a on a on a marble table. Right? Then they'd arrange it on the shulchan. Then when you would take it off the shulchan to give it out to Khan, they would put it once again on a gold table. So the Gemara says, Shemalin Bakodish Vadomoridin, because ultimately again we go up in Kedusha, we don't go down. So we'll say, so interestingly enough, the process for Lechem Aponimos comes out of the oven, goes on to a goes on to a marble table, then gets arranged on the formal shulchan. Inside of the Kodesh, that's the Shulchan with the, right, with the 12 stacks. 
Then when it's taken off the shulchan, it's once again put on another golden table. Because you can't go back white. Once you had gold, you can't go back to marble. Malin bakodesh ve'in moridin. And there was one table inside of the Kodesh, which we'll say is what we call the Shulchan. The Klishari is called the Shulchan. And that was the table upon which the Lecham was situated. Incredible. So Tani, Al Shal Kasef, Rabbi Yosef Yosef Bishol, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Chanan, Mati Ba, Bishen Rabbi Yochanan, Les Kan Shal Kasef. So we'll say, interesting enough, what the Gemara is pointing out over here is as follows. The Gemara says, if you take a look at the carbon haida, tani al shal kasef, osan shal ulam, echad haya shal kasef, ve echad shal zav, al shal kasef and osan. So said there's an alternate version. Remember again, the last part of the Mishnah. In the last part of the Mishnah said, there were two tables. We'll say, just wait, if you could imagine, the ulam, right, the ulam, the base Hamikdash building looked like a T, right? The entranceway was long and narrow. And we'll call the primary building, which housed the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim, was a rectangle. So the ulam is that, is that top of the T. So the Mishnah said in that ulam, there were two tables, right? One of, one of marble and one of gold. There's an alternate version. There's an alternate, another bracer that says, no, no, no. It was one of silver, one of gold. And there was no table of marble. So the Gemara says, why does our Mishnah say, Marble and not silver. So the Gemara says, No, 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 you don't use silver. Why don't you use silver? Because it will say silver, metal, conducts heat. What's going to be the problem? If you go ahead and you put hot bread, it's hot bread, right? You put hot bread on silver, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Silver is going to get hot. We'll say what then ends up happening is if the table gets hot, it could lead to spoilage. Therefore, Halacha Lamai said they did not use a silver table. They only used a, a they only used a marble table. Um, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, marble table, marble table. So the Gemara says, I don't understand what's the problem. What are you talking about? You don't have to worry about the lechem upon him. The lechem upon him was, was already governed by miraculous activity. After all, again, one of the miracles in the base of Midrash was what? That the lechem upon him went onto the shulchan hot and it came off hot. So if that's the case, again, it was miraculous. And you don't have to worry about spoilage. To which the Gemara says, I was to listen to this. The Gemara says, Shnemar lasum lechem chom beyomi lako, Rabbi Shimon Levi Omer, ein maskirin maisenisin. To which the Gemara says, we don't rely on miracles. We don't rely on miracles. You're right. I, I got it. The, right? The Lechem Panam was miraculous. But at the end of the day, when structuring your daily life in the Beis HaMikdash, you don't rely on a miracle. Therefore, you use a table of marble, not a table of silver. Which I will say, we'll have to stop over here. But what, what an incredible lesson. The Ribbon Shalom performs miracles all of the time. And I know, I know with absolute certainty that there are going to be miracles. But I cannot structure my life based on those miracles. My life must be structured around normative hishtadlus, normative human effort. But I live with the constant belief that I'm always going to see the Rebbe Shalom's miracles. Therefore, our Mishnah says, you do not use a table of silver because that will lead to spoilage. I know this is going to be a miracle, but nevertheless, we go ahead and we use a table, one table of marble, one table of gold. We will continue with the Shulchan tomorrow. Wait a minute.